Thank you for having me, uh-huh. Jason. You can leave now if you like. No, no. I, I, I'm, I'm already here. I drove so far. You did drive so far. <laughs> All right, everybody. Yeah. I have Matt Lieberman on Hello. my podcast today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here. We're, we're you here. are here. We're mm-hmm. here to talk about a Bill Cosby album. Yeah, we are. 8, um, 15, 12, 15. Yes. I've, want, I've wanted to come on the podcast for a long time. I've wanted to have you on the podcast and say your ni- name right for so long. Did you hear oh. I couldn't say the word, the name? The, you the word name. It. Well, you've been having like a rough day. This is uh, it. May be that's yeah. what it is. It's been a very stressful couple of weeks, but that doesn't mean you should suffer for it. Man. I'm not suffering. Yeah. I'm soaking it all in. This is cool. I mean, you know, I do I do a lot of podcasts, but they don't get to be like super <sighs> casual, right? I feel like I so feel like casual. I can't speak. My skin is a tingle. It's so <laughs> casual. And um, I got to to listen to this whole album today. Yeah. Um, which like I bought. I bought it randomly. I went to a record swap after like swearing that I didn't have any money, uh-huh. and then I bought like ninety dollars sure. worth of records. Yep. And uh, this was in it. And then also Bill Cosby's first music album, uh, "Silver Throat." Bill Cosby sings, <laughs> which I'm gonna loan to you after because you have to listen. I shouldn't be loaned that. It's it's. I it, shouldn't be trusted with it now. No, I'll, I for, trust I'll you. forget. I'll forget his name. You'll forget his name. You know, there's a Bing Crosby joke on that. Or, no, they call him Bill. Cro- Doesn't he call himself Bill Crosby? They say ah, yeah. that ain't Bill Crosby. <laughs> yeah, that ain't Bing Crosby. That's Bill Crosby. Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. Um, on side two. Ah, uh, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I I mean I. I don't know. I think I introduced you to this album. Or yes, had, you did. Yeah, no, yeah, I've seen it, but I didn't know what it was about at all. Yeah, you know. And it's um, it's weird because it's the only album I've ever come across where I feel like we're seeing him at work. Yeah, right. You know, uh-huh. on the albums when he's just doing pure material, he's just he's fun. He's the Cosby that we know. And yes. here, especially in the in the eight fifteen show in the dinner show, mm-hmm. he. You see him wrestling with the audience, and it's yeah. it's it's really cool to see someone who like is always so polished just doing the work. Yeah. Do you yeah. listen to um? Do you listen to Pete Holmes's podcast? Yeah, I do. Yeah, there was um, I can't remember. I'm, I was listening to an old episode. I can't remember who was on, but they were talking about uh, I think it was Gerard Carmark, Gerard Carmichael or Jim Gaff. It was Jim Gaffkin. Okay. And they were talking about um, watching David Tell mm-hmm. at two a.m. at uh, in this comedy cellar oh, versus yeah. like seeing him in a theater and it's like you know a guy like that you want to see him box you mm-hmm. don't want to see the the album set you want to see him box yeah, yeah, yeah. it was cool to see, listen to Cosby box yeah yeah hundred percent yeah and it's it's they're very different uh, a few things make their way but like listening to him. Uh, try it out for a different audience. Mm-hmm. Try different formats to the joke. Different speeds. Different everything is different. Attitude. Yeah. Everything. I, and I mean, if, if you were talking about before uh, when you suggested it. Like one of the big things that stood out to you was crowd work. Yeah. Uh, and that is something I guess he, I, I haven't ever heard him do because he doesn't need to. No. Like, no. You know, you listen <laughs> to the twelve fifteen show. For for those of you who don't know oh, anything yes. about the album, it is uh, two recordings. Of two shows that took place on the same night at the Harrah's in Lake Tahoe so in good. 1969. In 1969, 
Um, and uh, he does a lot of the same material over the course of the two. Mm -hmm. For the second one, for the Midnight Show, uh, the way they describe it on the back of the LP is um, the waiters serve four doubles to everyone since there's no service after the show starts. Um, an air of anticipation, then a voice and outsteps Bill Cosby, cooking, weaving, sit back with some friends, offer them a drink, coke, coffee, and laugh with the entertainer of our times. So they're like, they're they're drunk at this point, and he's encouraging them to keep drinking. Mm -hmm. So he has to do barely any crowd work. Right, right. He does one little bit, and then he goes right into material. Yeah. Versus, like, what I love about the dinner show yeah. is... He he does a little bit of crowd work and then he does one bit of material about peas about the about dinner <laughs> about the stuff on the plate as he's encouraging them to eat as fast as they can because yeah. he knows this crowd isn't paying attention to me mm -hmm. the only way to to ensure that I can have most of them on my side is to get them to finish dinner right. so, and make them comfortable enough yeah. that they just want to listen mm -hmm. so he does one bit realizes he's not. They're not ready yet. Goes back into crowd work yeah. for another like twelve minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like he tries that little bit <laughs> about like the friend in Texas. Yeah, doesn't work. Goes back to crowd work and then it cuts out. Yeah, yeah. And it <laughs> drives me nuts because I feel like it's not the complete show. Sure. Yeah. And I want to know what happens between that and side two. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a little bit of mystery, and I, that, that's the one thing is on the second record. It doesn't feel like he's got to fight against food. You know, mm -hmm. there's a so it's a it's and it's weird to me that at at the height of you know at the height of uh, being a stand up to be able to a to be that big and release uh, a fairly avant garde record yeah you know, pretty experimental nothing crazy nothing psychedelic but it's as psychedelic as Bill Cosby's gonna get and not not just do that but to hear him having a rough time and that he didn't care about releasing that like yeah. you know not like he's bombing but just it's it's not an easy show for him. No. And like I said, he's fighting against food. Yeah. You know? He's fighting against food. He's having less fun. But yes. I what I love about it is I can you can almost hear him think. The mm -hmm. rhythm is very different from any of his other albums and especially from the twelve fifteen show mm -hmm. where I feel like he's had a maybe a couple of drinks himself yeah, maybe, yeah. and he's just off to the races, very high energy, very excited. And here he's doing, you know, the kind of more practiced you know, calm, own the room Cosby patter mm -hmm. um, that you see a lot of on maybe not all the albums, but definitely of that era. Like I like I just keep thinking of of Russell. Yeah. yeah um. Yeah. And uh, he's just feeling the room out at all times. He's like a hunter. Mm -hmm. He's like move like moving and weaving, and it's just it's it's cool. Like I don't know. I I did stand up for like five years before I just I just couldn't anymore i got really, really burnt i got really burnt out yeah you know because you do a lot of the, you do a lot of the same shows and if you aren't always writing you just you get bored and yeah. you get discouraged and i i was i just kind of chickened out at some point yeah you know and out here did you do it all out here i i started in boston and it was a lot okay. easier out there you know okay. like it was easier to get stage time and like the the climate is different mm -hmm. over there no one's out here, everyone is concerned that there might be industry somewhere listening ah, somewhere. Yeah. Everyone wants a job. And out there, people are doing it, you know, they're working their day job, and then they're hustling out to do comedy at yeah. night because they, they need to. Yes. They love it. Right. And, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of comedians that were there, 
like when I was there, now starting to break out out here, but mm-hmm. like I didn't stay there long enough when I got out here. I was doing the comedy store and just getting burnt out on that scene. Yeah. Uh, there just came a point where it just wasn't worth it anymore. Were you doing well and didn't enjoy it, or were you? Was it just not enough? Like you, didn't... I wasn't. I wasn't doing enough shows yeah. that the bad shows didn't matter. Okay. Yeah. You know, because yeah. like uh, I would have, I was I was pretty much fifty fifty. Like yeah. when when I was on, I was really on, and mm-hmm. people would come up after and I'd feel great and mm-hmm. then you know I'd spend like the next two weeks writing and and then I'd have a bad show and just I couldn't look anyone in the face sure. for days mm-hmm. I like there's nothing purer than owning a room mm-hmm. just being yourself and I was getting very very close um I felt to being my best self on stage okay. not being a character you know like when I was doing it in Boston, and I know we're getting way off. No, this I, is part of it. Okay, great. When I was when I was doing it in Boston, I embraced the fact that I was really pathetic. Mm-hmm. I had had uh, Eddie Brill, who was the the Late Show with David Letterman Booker mm-hmm. for like yeah. twenty years, and he uh, he still does their warm up. He did a, a workshop at Emerson College, which is where I went. Uh huh. He. He hooked into... I did this one joke about how I was still a virgin at 19. Uh-huh. And um, how, you know, I just must really intimidate all women, <laughs> you know. And, like, just basically every time I entered a room, uh, everything in the room, like, just shut spontaneously <laughs> and just squeezed super tight because it was that intimidated by all that I had. Right. And, like, talking about... My last name, you know, my name translated to Matt, Matthew means gift of God, and uh-huh. Huberman means lover man or man of love. Mm-hmm. So it was like, how am I supposed to live up to that reputation? <laughs> right. And he was like, do that. Yeah. Do that. That's honest. That's real. Do it. So I was playing into this character, and it worked very well for mm-hmm. me. And then after some of the jokes were, you know, after I lost my virginity and the <laughs> jokes didn't, you know, fit, Yeah. it started to feel kind of rote, and I, I was... See. I got conf- I, I got really lost just trying to find material that would make people laugh instead yeah. of like what do I find funny? No matter at any nightclub, you get a potato. They give you even if you have a sandwich, they give you a potato. You could eat. Uh, there's somebody over here. Well, you ate all of your potato almost. And peas. Now there you are, peas. Look at that. Huh? You like peas? Huh? Why'd you leave them? Peas are very uncool to serve in a nightclub or any place where you're out eating. Very uncool. Have you ever, pick, pick up a fork full of peas. Just go ahead. Just dig right in there and pick them up. See how some of them fall off? Whoever made up peas to eat out in public, man, they roll off your fork all the time, you know, and you can't spoon them because there's a busy guy spooning his peas over there. They'd rather that you fork them and drop half of them on the floor, you know. There's a lot of slick people pushing peas over under your plate, pretending you did it, you know. You dropped your peas all over your plate there. Look at the bottom of your shoes. There's peas all on the bottom, the way you've squashed them and everything. Peas in your lap, little pea in your buttonhole. And peas really don't do anything. There's no nutrition. Do you ever hear a mother say, eat your peas, it'll make you grow? Never. Just say, eat your peas, because they want to laugh at you. See them falling all on the floor and everything. 
And then I came out here and I got a girlfriend and then the relationship humor started bringing me back. And it, it, to me, it all comes down to like the things that I love are relationships and why people lie to ourselves and lie to each other. Yeah. What are we all afraid of? Like that's, that's fun for me to talk about because I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I love, what, what happened yesterday? Yesterday, uh, my girlfriend texts me early in the morning. She's like, it's steak and blowjob day. <laughs> And I'm like, I feel like, okay, I'm confused that she would bring that up to me, but she was really excited about it. And I was like, well, no, it's actually it's pie day. So she was, and I was like, do you want to have steak and pie for dinner? And she was like, perfect, steak and pie and blowjobs. And like, that was very much a part of the conversation mm -hmm. was she wanted to have that, like, she was really, really intent on like making that happen and like me being really really excited about it uh -huh. and I cared more about the steak and the pie <laughs> and I feel like there's just so much psychologically there it's just very strange and then also um, there's this web series I'm not going to say what because I don't want more people to find it but I did an interview <laughs> for this dating web series where they, they just ask lots of people dating okay, questions yeah. um, and uh, that I just gave a very frank interview they gave me a hundred bucks okay. and I just talked about dating and shit very very frankly yeah because i just was addicted to being honest of course and the first few pieces with my stuff came out uh -huh. in the last week and they chopped it down oh, no. to like completely out of context shit so like it cuts to me and i'm like i'm afraid i have a low sperm count cut, cut. oh you know you. <laughs> it's like i was talking about how i'm just like the fact that I've only had one pregnancy scare in my life mm -hmm. makes me think that I might be sterile. And I think that's not a crazy thought. <laughs> right, right. And that's like, to me, that's a great bit. Yeah. That's, that, uh, <clears throat> what I love most about um, the difference between these two albums mm -hmm. is how he's appealing to the audience. Yeah. Knowing what those audiences are and appealing to them differently, leaning heavier on drinking and gambling. Sure. Um, in the later show and appealing to the women who now that they're drunk they're laughing harder than the mm -hmm. men yeah. and trying to get them laugh more embarrass the husbands mm -hmm. versus you know in the dinner show he goes right to talking to the kids because all of the parents will laugh at that mm -hmm. and the kids will laugh at the other kids of course yeah yeah, yeah. <coughs> um, man that's so funny do you so I mean that that seems to me that the it seems one of the reasons you're so interested is not just because it's such a good album because it's Bill Cosby but I mean you can you sort of feel what it must must have been like to be up on stage for that absolutely yeah that's why that's why I love it so much yeah. is um, most of the shows that I ever did I was fight I was boxing mm -hmm. with an audience and I wasn't quite at the level where. You know, I could change tack and change my my set and just go into crowd work and right. feel it out. And um, listening to him feel it out like makes me just think about his confidence level. Yeah, here yeah. he's not he's not he doesn't just have to stand on his material. Sure, he knows in his heart he is funny enough and he is smart enough that he can wrap up these crowds. Mm -hmm. In the first twenty, yeah, and then just say whatever he wants in the second half, yeah, and just own them. And and listening to him puzzle that out, like I love puzzles, I love logic puzzles. Mm -hmm. The puzzle of an audience is great, and it's why, like, I do. After leaving stand up, I do sketch and I do improv. And improv, you're not really thinking about the audience 
as much, but but sketch when you're building a running order mm-hmm. and you're trying to think of you know the different types of humor that we have in this show. What is the best way to showcase them so that the audience is always guessing and they never get bored? Yeah, and that's to me, he's doing that in the moment. He knows he has pieces. He has these these bits, these material, these sketches in the back of his mind. He can drop at any time, but he's waiting for the right moment, mm-hmm. and he's he's making a running order on the fly. Yeah, and it's it's addictive. And I wish that I could just have raw sets uh-huh. from everyone. Right, right, right. Of course, because you know they're funny. Mm-hmm. You know the material is going to be great. And there's like there's some stuff in here that's really funny. Some stuff that's like okay. Mm-hmm. But he's just trying to entertain a crowd and get his and get his paycheck and have a good time. Yeah. And his fun level grows exponentially over the course of both shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, to the point that he is just having the time of his life by side four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, it's it's interesting to me too to listen, just in terms of improv, how you find your way because I've never done stand up. How you find your way from crowd work back to a bit like with ease. Yeah, you know what I mean. Just to, that segue is magical. Exactly. Yeah, when he's like, you know, and that reminds me of a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, that reminds me of my friend in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it didn't remind him of his friend in yeah. Texas. But he, you're kind of like you're seeing your opportunities, and like in improv, you're always looking for callbacks or for moments sure. to bring stuff back. And I feel like it's it's the same instinct. It's knowing knowing that you have enough of them on your side and that it's been long enough whatever you're doing is long enough you have them at max attention mm-hmm. so that whatever you do next is going to not only have the best shot of going well yeah but you're going to have the most people enjoying it thinking about it critically in that moment mm-hmm. he's setting these people up for for the bits and then if they work then he gets to do more bits the sure. bit is the reward right right Crowd, like crowd work, it's 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 it, that's the work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wait. So you've never done stand up? You just no. love stand up? I, I do. I mean, in general, I just like comedy albums. Okay. I like anything where I don't have to be around other people, okay. and I can listen. The comedy is mine. I, I it's changing, obviously, because I I like to perform now. I don't mind going to shows now. But, yeah, for a long time, it was just me and albums, and that was my favorite thing, and I would make my own albums. But, again, I wouldn't, I didn't go on stage so that anybody would see me ahead of time. I would just make shit for myself. Wait, you have albums? Yeah, I did one album. I would never <clears> advise <throat> you to listen to it. Uh, I want to listen to it. bad. Will you, will you Will you review it for your 100th episode? That would be really funny. That would be really funny. That would be really funny. I should get my best friend out here, because we did it together. That would be great. Yeah, I mean, it would, be, it would be really perfect to bring those two podcasts together, because he and I are talking about all our sketches from when we were 13, I mean, I'm playing the shit we recorded when we were 13 on yes. the podcast, talking about how what awful were, it was. Can, can you, I know we're talking about Cosby, can uh-huh. you tell me one of the bits? Uh, I, they're very hard to explain, because honestly, I realize, we real, we talked about this the other day, we realized all our sketches are, are either fake commercials right. or, or fake interview shows. And the one we, like, I, the, the bit that I did most frequently was a character called Father O'Malley, who did a 60-second sermon. I never, was not religious, was not raised with the Bible. I was gleaning my satire of religion off of some things I had seen on television. Satire mm. being a very loose word for a 13-year-old right. boy. Um, there's that. Most recently we did a, uh, the one that we just did was where 
my buddy Dan was playing an interviewer, and I was sort of Ringo Starr and sort of not. Uh, horrible. Have you ever Bad. listened to um, Don Adams meets the Roving Reporter? No, I really want to get that album. Actually, yeah. is it good? It's good. Yeah. Um, and it's it's literally just that. It's uh, mm-hmm. this Roving Reporter coming up to all these different wacky characters trying to report on stories, and then all the characters are played by Don Adams. Of course. Okay. And. Um, it's just it's just so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always it's the same bit. Mm-hmm. It's the same bit 12 like 12 to 8 to 12 times sure. over the course of this album, but it yeah. doesn't get old um, cuz just his timing yeah. there's and there's just something about that voice, man. Definitely. It's Definitely. so <laughs> important. Mhm. Um and you know, there's some moments on this Cosby album Hannibal Burris isn't far off yeah. from doing conversational young Cosby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of, like, tone of voice and pacing, um, like, at times, I kind of had to kind of look up and, like, am I, like, (laughs) what is, it sounds, it sounds like him. I don't know if you caught that, if you felt that. I I, I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, that makes perfect sense. There's just this kind of very casual, mumbly, he's (laughs) not trying to get your attention, but everything that he's saying is about getting your attention. Yes. He knows that he's the second focal point of this room. Right. The first is your table, your family, your food. And, you know, if he can make enough people laugh, Mm -hmm. those other people will eventually look up and pay attention. But he knows not to waste his energy early on. Yeah. Because not only does he have to do this whole show and get them on his side and do the hard work, he has a whole other show in four hours. Yes. And yeah. he's going to be up till like one or two in the morning, mm-hmm. um, and so he takes his time. Yeah, and that's one thing that young comics have a lot of trouble doing. That I had a lot of trouble doing, mm-hmm. and like you know, I do this thing where I go back to stand up like twice a year. Okay, and like be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, like screw this. I'm not going to let like the L.A. scene or how I felt about it or who I was then stop me. I need to finish see this out. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I understand that. Um and I take my time and I always have fun and even if like I got the last time I went up I had these horrible hecklers, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like uh, drunk older gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um they didn't I don't know if they had jobs or they were just very blue collar like nothing necessarily wrong with them. Mm-hmm. They just kept talking to me. Uh-huh. During the set, and I'm like trying to do these bits, and um, you know, I kind of go halfway. I don't completely shut him down because he's like big enough that I'm a little afraid. Uh huh. Uh huh. I I'm just kind of like I'm like so wait so how do you feel about that? And trying to do crowd work with him. Uh huh. And kind of like I get a couple answers, a little back and forth. I'm giggling, and then I go back to my bit, like yes. right where I left off. Right, right, right. Um. And uh, I don't even know the point of that anecdote. <laughs> you keep coming back to it, yeah, and the thing yeah. people don't have is patience, maybe. Right, like and the patience, I think, was the most rewarding element yeah. of that set, is knowing this is not the set I want it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not the show that I wanted to have. I'm not going to get to do all the bits that I wanted. This recording is kind of garbage. Uh-huh. There's not. I'm not going to be able to post this anywhere. Right. But... I'm taking my time, and all of the jokes that I am getting to uh-huh. are getting solid laughs. You got your tickets yet? Huh? Don't come all the way up here and see me if you're not coming to Oakland. 
You live right in Oakland. You mean you're going to walk right by the place? Oh, I saw him already. I drive all the way. This, that, this is for my benefit. This big concert in Oakland, that's where I want to see it. What do you mean I'll be too far away? You live in Oakland. You drove about 1,400 miles to get here for dinner. You already like the dinner here or the coffee's great or what? But, I mean, you're going to come to Oakland. I'll have a different show in Oakland. It's clean. Do I realize how... I sure I realize how big it is. Well, then if you get there first and you buy the front row tickets, of course, with your eyes, I imagine... <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. You know, would you like a seat right here? <laughs> and that's like, that's a message. Keep doing it. Sure. That wasn't a bad show, but would I want to sit for like three hours on a Wednesday to mm -hmm. get my seven minutes mm -hmm. and potentially have that derailed again mm -hmm. no i just i understand I, that right now i just can't well see that was, that was my next question was how, how how much time do you on average get and i figure it was about seven how the fuck do you develop patience within i guess you have to develop it over other shows to get it right in one show but that's mm. i mean in seven minutes how do you you've you, got seven minutes you've already got to pack into that time anyway yeah the here's the thing the problem is i never do enough sets and if you're doing five or six sets a week mm -hmm then, you know, not being able to get all the jokes out on one particular night doesn't matter as much. Okay. And then you can just relax into it and just look at the crowd and and pick stuff out. Yeah. And that's how I started doing more crowd work was when I, I was doing seven instead of five. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't at the comedy store, so it wasn't like, you know, if I want to be invited back... I have to kill. Yeah, yeah. When you're not worrying as much about killing and you're just having a great time, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're energetic and you're articulate, mm -hmm. the audience, uh, the ones that are there to have fun will always join you. Yeah. It may take a second. Sure. But you don't have to, you don't have to panic. And I think what I did for literally the first four and a half, really for all five years that I was really doing comedy, I was always panicking. Okay. Always. Because I didn't like myself. Uh-huh. And, you know, some people may say, like, oh, you need to have, like, you can't, if, if you want to be a great stand-up, you have, have to have severe problems right, right, right. with yourself or mental issues or, like, and that's all, you don't have to. <laughs> no. It can no. birth great things. Sure. But... To have the level of confidence that you need to own a room like Cosby's doing on mm -hmm. this album, you have to have some deep self-love. Yes, yes. Um, and I think you can love yourself and your flaws mm -hmm. if you don't deny your flaws and instead like are able to laugh about them. Mm -hmm. That's the easiest way to generate. He talks so casually in this about growing up in the ghetto. He even uses the word the ghetto. And yeah. like just... But he's laughing giddily at the end where uh, at the end of that one bit where he's talking about basically worrying about getting killed by a bunch of fucking thugs. Yeah. And I'm just listening. I'm thinking, and Jen and I were thinking about it and talking about it out loud. Like, that, I would shit myself. Like, I would not know what to do. And he's just, like, laughing about it. Yeah. Like, and it's not like, I'm damaged. This dark thing in my, in my past really fucked me up. It's like, no, I, 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 this was a part of my life that I moved past. And right. Isn't this funny? Yeah. Like, in the moment, this was really, it was not great, but it's really great now. But it's a great story. Yeah. And, you know, he, he doesn't do, <laughs> he does, like, three or four stories over the course of the double album. Mm -hmm. Like, it's mostly, it's a lot of crowd work, a lot of bits, and most of what I love from him is stories. Sure. Um, and uh, he, is, you're, you're exactly right. 
he's taking this thing that may have been damaging early on, but he can look back on it with humor now because, like, nothing bad happened, and he's being a a pansy. He's setting himself (laughs) up um, to be the heel in this bit. Um, What is... There's... uh, I think this is a Parks and Recreation line. It's, like, talking about... Um, in the Yiddish culture, shlemiels and shlemazels. Yeah, right, um, right. That uh, Jerry, uh, a shlemiel is someone who spills soup on someone else, and shlemazel is the person who gets, gets spilled on. Yeah, yeah, and he's both, <laughs> and he's setting him, himself up to be to be either one. He's just mm-hmm. he's making fun of himself and his background because these people might not be comfortable sure. with what he's saying, sure. and I think he's taking that into account. Yeah, and. By having the same reaction that they would have had mm-hmm. in that scenario and coming to their level and being like, wouldn't that scare the crap out of you? <laughs> but don't you have that friend who would want to get that girl anyway? <laughs> right. You know, right. he's appealing. He's using his own experiences to appeal directly to people with vastly different backgrounds. He's just he's keying in on what is the same. Yeah. What is the same between us? And I can't remember. I think maybe I read it. I was doing... I was a little intimidated coming on your podcast because mm-hmm. most of mine are like TV recap shows, yeah. and like I love comedy, and when I come on a pot- comedy podcast, I want to fucking you know bring it. But now you know that I'm retarded. You know you don't have to worry right. about it. Exactly. Yeah. You called me Justin Lieberstein. <laughs> so. Steen. Okay. Steen. Don't be racist. So, oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> we're not a race. We're a people. I don't think we're. Don't a be race. peopleist. Okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> um, but I read on his on Cosby's Wikipedia. Uh, that his philosophy... I'm, I'm butchering it, but it was like his philosophy is basically like, you know, when he's appealing to these largely uh, middle and upper, upper middle class white audiences, mm-hmm. that he's trying to show them that even though we look different, we come from different places, uh-huh. we agree on so many things. Yeah. And we feel the same way about so many things. You know, isn't that race relations right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I guess some, I guess some, against some critics who felt that he was pandering or something like that. Uh-huh. And I 100% agree. Yeah. And I think that that's, on a smaller level, what you're doing with any audience and the best comedy is we're getting a visceral, gut-busting reaction because whoever they are and whatever story they're telling, whoever they are, they're tapping into something real about ourselves, usually something we're uncomfortable with or a fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great sketch teacher uh heather ann campbell who is um she she wrote for snl for a while and she was a writer on incredible crew which was a sketch on cartoon network now she writes for eric andre's show okay um and um and for fox adhd and all their shorts and she said that laughter as a reaction and I, i i really think there's a lot of truth in this um where does it come from Mm -hmm. when we were cave people or living out on the plain and you hear a rustling in the bushes, for a hot second, your whole body tenses up, I'm going to die, mm-hmm. is the thought. Whatever is about to come out of there could rip my face off and kill me and disembowel and not care. And then, rustle, 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 and out pops a little fluffy bunny. Uh-huh. You and everyone at the fire <clears throat> start laughing. Right. Uproariously. Right. Because you came so close to something that you really are afraid of. Yeah. And then have it subverted. Yeah. Have it twisted. And the and to me, the best stand-ups are able to get so close to making you uncomfortable or touching on something you're deeply afraid of or you don't want to talk about mm-hmm. 
and then at the last second they make that left bank turn Mm -hmm. into something funny and gets to the heart of why that bothers you and makes it okay that it bothers you Mm -hmm. or makes you realize how ridiculous it is that it bothers you Mm -hmm. and you 100% agree and laughter is that mutual agreement throughout the entire audience yeah that's awesome that's 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 a nice perspective. I like that. that. It it makes me think about some comedians who are less than deft about it, and who again, you, you obviously anybody can like what they like, but there are people who like to push and to test in a way to do exactly what you're talking about, but in such a way that it makes people feel deathly uncomfortable. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who just really like to say shit they don't mean. Yeah. But it's, it's like uh, Sam Kinison could get vile. Yeah. I don't think he he was not that guy, but he could get vile right and trying he's trying to get the same reaction but i for me i personally i appreciate it when it's done in a what i consider to be a subtler manner absolutely you know, I, I, that's i think why people love cosby because he's still doing the same thing he's doing the exact same thing he's just taking out everything that would get that would make it hard for him to get another job right right like, it's just, he even when he he's pitching the woman in the 815 show he's <laughs> pitching her to come see his his next show in Oakland yeah and yeah. he's like you know what you're going to drive all the way out here but you won't go to that one come on it's clean it'll be a completely different show it'll all be clean that's the big one um and the you know guys like him and Brian Regan mm-hmm. they still tap into the same, you know, pleasure centers and the same kind of, like, parts of your brain mm-hmm. that shock humor or louder humor, perhaps, do. They're just doing it in a way that's, you know, com- more commercially viable. It's a choice. Sure. It's the harder choice, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, some say that it's braver uh, to go and, like, really touch on the things that no one wants to talk about sure. and make them funny. I agree with that. Yeah. But as a performer... It is incredibly brave and incredibly dangerous, in my opinion, to say, I'm only going to work clean. Mm-hmm. How can I be as good as everyone else mm-hmm. when they're able to say whatever they want? Right. And the folks who do it well will always go down, I think, as the most respected among comedians, if not everyone else. Yeah. Because um, it's... I mean, how many completely clean comics can you think of that you're like, this is one of the all-time greats? Right. And to me, it's it's Cosby and Regan mm-hmm. and Seinfeld. Sure. Although, like, he can, he he's he can get dirtier. He just doesn't. Oh man, you're talking about a guy lying his way into heaven, man. I will be there, Jack. Because there's no such thing as an atheist. No such thing as an atheist, man. You may walk around all day saying, I don't believe in God, ain't none. But if that ground shakes, you're going to look up. That's all there is to it. And I'm telling you right now, you're going to cop out, man, all of you. So I knew you were really up there all the time, man, you know. I was just fooling with these guys, you know. Because ain't nothing stronger than that, than the ground shaking, you know, and buildings falling over. Forget that, Jack. And I'm telling you another thing. You better stop calling the Lord's name in vain. All of you. Cut it out. You don't need to, because he's busy. God is busy. God is busy, man. He's working, working, trying to solve problems, trying to solve the racial problem, trying to solve Vietnam. He's trying to solve them so, so they don't look like it was a miracle. Did you ever have to think... I mean, did you make a conscious effort to think about that stuff when you were performing? I mean, did you ever get dirty, or...? I started very dirty. Okay. 
Um, the first stand-up show I ever did was like right after Steve Irwin died, the Crocodile Hunter. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Uh-oh. it was basically like a four and a half minute rambling bit uh-huh. about how stingrays are the things that are going to start killing us now, and like how basically. If that can kill us, what won't kill us? Because it's just basically, it's like a bath mat that got thrown into the water <laughs> and has a tail. Uh-huh. Um, but then it was just lots of, like, dick and masturbation. And, like, mm. you know, I was 18. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was just trying to get a reaction because I didn't trust that I was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I had a really bad show, and I just stopped... For like two months straight uh-huh. and when i came back i'm like i'm only doing clean material okay i'm only doing clean material and my lead off my opener was like a really bad dane cook impression uh-huh. um <laughs> which like you know now i'm like oh, come on dude <laughs> but uh, making fun of another comic and like you know like listen no one can take Retaliation mm-hmm. away from Dane Cook. Right. It's a good album. Sure. It's a good album. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people crap on Dane Cook. I'm not here to do that. Mm-hmm. When I was 18, though, mm-hmm. I wanted to do it all the time. Of course. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was basically, it was like how every Dane Cook bit is the same mm-hmm. and he's just kind of repeating the same thing over and over and mm-hmm. cursing. And, um, and then I did a bit about Lay's Stacks. <laughs> And I'm just like, how anyone's going to believe it? It's just, that's just Pringles. You're copying Pringles <laughs> and something about something that involved AIDS uh-huh. in this Lay's Stacks bit. And I wish I could remember. I have oh these God. like old stand up sets uh-huh. on YouTube and we, c- we can watch one after. Oh my. And like, I'm like 18, 19. There's one from the Boston Comedy Festival in uh-huh. 2006. 2006, 2007. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, oh my god, it's it's like 12 minutes long for what's supposed to be five minutes. It's bad news. <laughs> oh, man. But it's got to be heaven listening to somebody who's at the top of their game. Do you, I mean, and I already asked, I mean, you know what it feels like sort of to be up there. Do you imagine it? Does it make you want to do comedy again when yeah. you listen to this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, now, like, ever since I started podcasting i mean if those who don't know i do uh oh, yeah. podcasts for after buzz tv um and i review a lot of tv shows over there and um i've been getting into comedy podcasts your podcast is one of them and you know the mark marins and the pete holmes sure. of the world and um and the more i hear about it and the more that i do improv and sketch and like become more confident that i am funny on stage i'm dying to do stand up again mm-hmm. it's just like if I'm really gonna do it, mm-hmm. if I'm gonna do it, I want to be able to commit three, four nights a week sure. and pound that out. Of course, pound yeah. it out. And um, I just don't. I don't have either. It's it's always I don't have the time or I don't have the wherewithal. It makes me feel like shit about myself. Yeah, you know, because it's just it's the albatross, man. Because uh-huh. I know it's like when you know you were okay at something <laughs> at like. 20 if I stuck with it how good could I be and like having friends from back then who are now like great and are like you know if not like this close they're close to this close Mm -hmm. um Blake Wexler is an LA comic Uh who uh I did 
all stand up with it, Emerson, and he just like he attacked it from moment one, uh-huh. and now you know uh, I see things like oh Blake Wexler doing Emerson alumni, you know big stand up show uh-huh. Blake Wexler at the Improv, you know sure. he's a Todd Glass show, you know um, I haven't seen him in like two and a half years, yeah, but like intensely jealous, sure, intensely jealous sure. that he stuck with it and it's working out because mm-hmm. that's. Awesome. Of course. Yeah. He's a he's a very funny guy. And like there was a time when like I was a year older than him and had a year more experience under my belt mm-hmm. and I was like, This kid, who is he? <laughs> I'm the I'm the fucking champion of this Emerson stand up scene, blah blah. BS. <laughs> you know, like who am I? And like trying to do doing my my like stories about um I did I used to tell this story about I was a I, I worked at a convenience store uh-huh. at my school and he it was in inside one of the dormitories and I'd work there till like two thirty in the morning and then I'd close up and I was the only one there. Yeah. My boss left. I got there at six PM, my boss left at eight. So I was running the whole thing and uh I steal stuff all the time. Because <laughs> like course. the prices were astronomical. I figured sure, stealing sure, sure. was like factored into the pricing. Right. Um right. and I used to tell this story about a guy who came trying to get condoms uh and he he ran down from the dorms in boxers and we didn't have any condoms left (laughs) and that like just telling like the mammoth struggle that this guy went to to get it it was my least favorite bit to perform because it felt super fakey Uh uh-huh yeah um because i'm like really exaggerating the story Mm -hmm. but crowds loved it okay and it was always like when people would come up to me, they'd talk to me about that story. Uh-huh. And I've always wondered, with like <clears throat> storytelling comedians like Cosby, how do you not get bored yep, yeah. of a story you've told a thousand times? Mm-hmm. Um, the details never change. Yeah. But the difference is, when you listen, I can't remember which of the stories he repeated... Uh-huh. In both sets, he repeated. Let's go back. He pe- repeated the the bit about golf and football. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he did the thing about his friend Rudy. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, instead of God. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when you're he he tells them a little bit differently, mm-hmm. and it's not as rote. And once you know the beats of a bit, sure. And you know the punchlines, being able to just play with it and improv with it on stage, I never did that. Okay. I didn't have enough confidence okay. back then. And I wonder if I did like storytelling again mm-hmm. and being able to switch it up and make it feel more real, mm-hmm. could a story last forever? Right, right, right. You know. That's that, no that's a really good point. That was going to be the next thing I was going to say. It's just do it different every fucking time, but I also understand what you're saying. If you don't have the confidence, maybe that is a lot harder. But what I was thinking though is what made you think you could do it it's not just the available availability of a club and a microphone Stand right up. yeah what made you think that oh yeah this to me I, i'll be honest with you mm-hmm. before i started the podcast and before i started listening to many podcasts in my head stand-up was effectively not a thing i know it exists and i know people huh. do it and i live out here where i know people do stand-up but i didn't hear enough people talking about it or doing it i never if i i knew the haha i lived i live right now i used to live right down by the haha cafe. right i would walk by it Every night, literally every night, and it didn't. I didn't think about it. I'm like, I saw Gabriel Iglesias. Okay, that's a guy I've seen on Comedy Central. But in my brain, stand-up's not a possibility. I've always done comedy in some way, but stand-up was never a possibility. That's so strange to me. You should, you should do it. We'll go. We'll, we'll, I would try it. Okay. 
but I, I hate when I hear people say, I'll try stand-up. I don't like that. I, open mic would be good for me, then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you see a lot of crazy people and a lot of depression mm-hmm. and a lot of anger, mm-hmm. which is why I stopped going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that I'm used to, though. Is my, ba- my background with stand-up, I, when I was in high school... I never really left the house. Mm-hmm. Like, I had activities. I was in musicals and plays okay. and stuff. So, like, I had a, I had a stage background. Um, but I didn't really have friends that I hung out with. Um, and I would just sit at home. And it was back during the big illegal downloading phase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just downloaded all the Comedy Central Presents. Holy shit. All of them. That's amazing. And I would just watch... Like, I would have that and, like, a bunch of other TV shows in a massive playlist on Shuffle. Mm-hmm. And any time that I was home, it would just be on. Yeah. And I would watch... I watched, like, like Gabriel Iglesias was one. Um, you know, Brian Regan, uh, Stephen Lynch. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd watch, I'd watch these repeatedly, nonstop. So yeah. when I went to college, then this first show that I did was... It, it was at the college. Mm-hmm. It was a. Um, it was the orientation week uh, open mic night thing. Anyone could do anything. Yes. And um, I was just like, you know, no one knows me here. Yeah. I could be funny. Sure. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go do this thing. I'm gonna try it. It yeah. doesn't matter. It's only the first week of school. Who cares? Sure. And it's not a real crowd. Whatever. So I got up and I do. Uh, what's supposed to be five minutes, I do like a 14 minute set. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's like rambly and the like, first time. yeah, 14 minutes and I'm telling stories about like these like, uh, kind of like ghetto, these, these two girls that I was, that were in my senior health class uh-huh. and like doing impressions and like uh, getting laughs, but weak sauce, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm over the moon about it. Of course. Because I didn't die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm great. I'm going to do this again. What? There's a there's a, a comedy club uh, two doors down? Perfect. Awesome. I'm going. So literally two nights later, I go to this comedy club. I go to um, uh, Dick Doherty's Beantown Comedy Vault. All right. Uh, <laughs> underneath uh, Remington's Restaurant, mm-hmm. um, which I did a lot of open mics there. And it's like... It's it's a great little room, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I go up and I, I tell my first joke, and it's about it's about Rosh Hashanah and my dad, and about how Jews always ask you what you ate that day, okay, and that like food is the most important thing mm-hmm. to uh, a Jewish parent uh-huh. is that you're eating what you're eating, how it tastes, yeah, is it better than blank, yeah, and. I do my first joke, no laughs, and I just disintegrate, and I'm just like, you I literally allowed, I'm like, you guys are killing me, (laughs) and I put the mic back, and I walk off the stage, and I keep walking, I walk out of the club, Uh I walk all the way back to my dorm room, and I lay down on my bed, and I'm like, I'm not doing that again. Uh Uh-huh. Two months later, I do another college show. Mm-hmm. goes really well. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, great, I can do this. I want to tell you something about the Lord, God. Many, I think that we use the Lord's name in vain, you know. I think that God is really, he can hear everything and he can see everything. And I think he's just busy, you know, working on problems. He's working on racial problem, Vietnam. He's working on them. Now, we keep bothering him. For no reason. We keep calling his name for no reason. And he can hear us and it distracts him. 
I mean, for instance, now, he's working on Vietnam and the racial problem, trying to solve them without having them look like a miracle, you know? <laughs> and he's doing that, you know. And all of a sudden, you see a friend of yours, you say, Oh, my God, there's Hilda. He says, What? Who called? Who won? Who won? Now, you see, you got to stop bugging him. You guys out there playing blackjack. Oh, God, if I can have a seven, I won't bust out. No, that doesn't, you know, leave him alone. I hear you out there at the crap table. Oh, God, let me have an 11. I got a dollar bet on it, you know. Leave him alone. Now, I got a friend of mine. His name is Rudy. He ain't doing nothing. We could call him all day, man. Wouldn't be bugging nobody. You know, come on, Rudy, give me a hard six, you know. He'll do this about the same thing for you. Give it to him. Let him have it. You know, really. And it let, that first year was all fits and starts, where I'd be doing it solid for two months, and then I would have a bad show, and I wouldn't do it again for another two months. Yeah. And it was just off and on, off and on, while meeting people at least in the Emerson comedy community, who would always invite me back to do more shows. And then when I do when I would do their shows, it would always I would agree to do it and then I'd be like, crap, I gotta write new material. Uh-huh. Because the people who are gonna come to this show have come to every other Emerson show. And I would always be writing bits the hour before yeah. a show. And it just wasn't I never got into the swing of writing just because you want to get it down because you can't wait to perform it. I was always hunting for material to do. And now that I've been doing improv and sketch for so long and, like, you know, have confidence in my own ability and my own ability to hold a stage and hosting all these podcasts and being funny off of nothing, now my brain is just swimming with bits. And now I can't do bits. Mm -hmm. And, uh... I just I wish it was I wish the LA scene was more like Boston. I wish it wasn't like Isn't there a way to treat it like it is though? Yeah, and that would be to, you know, say screw being successful, yeah. screw being famous as a stand-up. Yeah. Go and do it once a week because you love doing it. Mm-hmm. Cuz I know that I love doing it. Yeah. I just hate sitting through the two and a half hours yeah. of depression <laughs> and cra- there's this amazing crazy guy uh-huh um and maybe i, I shouldn't say that he's crazy because i don't know i don't know him uh it's uh i think his name's like jimmy the c okay or, or yeah jimmy the c in uh and he always did this one mic in uh in in, in sherman oaks okay at uh the liquid zoo uh-huh. um and uh he after every joke he would he would say the joke and then without waiting for a laugh he would throw his arm to the side, pull it up, and then just go like you know the like like kaboom! Like he would bring the arm down, like he's trying to hail a like a an eighteen wheeler, uh-huh. and it'd just be like you know, women wear panties because they're afraid of themselves. Kaboom! Um, and I would lose it, and uh-huh. to me, and honestly, watching him play was kind of the perverse highlight of my night because uh-huh. like you might get like two really good comics Mm -hmm. like there's like 30 of us and at the zoo they would always give us seven minutes which is like great sure but entirely too long as an audience watching like first time comedians or like young comedians and whatever and so like 
it would be a mix of that and then like just these guys in their mid to late 30s who knows how long they've been doing stand up sure just talking about how their lives suck <laughs> and oh. no one cares uh huh and then we can't all be Mark Maron right <laughs> we can't all be Mark Maron and Mark Maron has been doing comedy longer than you yes and yes. you know he's he's being honest and he's he's talking about his role in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like that's 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 the thing about that kind of comedy. Yeah. It can work, but only if you implicate yourself. Yeah. If yeah. you're in denial, it's um, it's from Justified. I love that show. Uh-huh. Uh, I think Raylan at some point says, you know, if uh, if you wake up in the morning and you meet an asshole that day, you met an asshole. If you wake up in the morning and everyone you meet are assholes, you're the asshole. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> and um, these were a lot of the latter type yeah. of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were plenty of those in Boston, too. Sure. But I cared in Boston because <laughs> their lives weren't going to get better. <laughs> right, right. You know, um, and they were implicating themselves in the world around them because, like, on the East Coast, where, where are you from? Upstate New York. You're from New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like on some level, and I could be very wrong about this. Uh-huh. East Coasters are better at dealing with crisis mm-hmm. than, say, people in Southern California uh-huh. because the weather was always crappy. 100%. And so when you woke up, you could always have a really crappy day sure. based on the weather and you had no control over it. Uh-huh. Whereas out here, most of the time, the weather is exactly the same. So when something bad happens or when something rains, people panic mm-hmm. because uh, it's different. Yeah. Whereas if you're always dealing with change and with aggressive change yeah. um, that's going to make you wet and miserable and can ruin your shit, mm-hmm. then you can handle whatever is coming at you. Or at the very least, you're not shocked yeah. when yeah. things go go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very good point. It's there's a lot less pity me and more like we're all screwed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um well I, I, I do very much now want to see you do stand up because Okay. I, yeah I, I if if only because I, I, I very much like the types of stories that you pick. Uh, everything you've told me, like even the ones you said that maybe didn't go so well, I, yeah. I, I, I see where your brain is and the things you like to pick out about life. That's the thing that always makes me stick with a certain stand-up. Even though Bill Cosby doesn't have the life I had, it doesn't matter. The stories, I yeah. they, they bounce off me perfectly in a certain way, or I absorb them in a, in a certain way. So your, your stories are doing the same sort of thing, and I like that you like logic. So you're clearly, you, you like to pick these things apart, and that's... One of the things I like about stand-ups. Yeah. You can tell a good story, but also suck something out of it that's more than just, here's a funny story, then that's... And I feel like it comes from this wonderful defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a weird or screwed-up childhood. The easiest way to avoid getting hurt again is to completely dissect the situation yes. that you were involved with. Now, that can lead to some destructive shit, too, sure. where you're, t- you're thinking about it so much that you drive yourself insane. Mm-hmm. And that has happened before uh-huh. but then when you're faced with something ridiculous you do it in the same way it's why i love my favorite bill cosby bit ever um and my favorite album like i want to say it's russell but it's fat albert okay it will always be fat albert it's the funniest one mm-hmm. um and when he's telling the story of fat albert's car uh-huh. that uh fat albert loves and he he spends every dime every cent that he has goes towards the car and then one day he gets an a Cessna airplane engine for the car <laughs> now i don't know if that's possible at all right um that's crazy uh-huh. um but then 
he dovetails off of that and starts talking about the noise that it's making when he takes Fat Albert's car to do his driving test. Uh-huh. <laughs> when Bill's doing his driving test with Fat Albert's car and the horrible noise that's coming. And if I can feel it, I can see it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I was in that car, I'd be laughing so hard. <laughs> like, just the ridiculous thing is something serious is happening. There's just a hilarious noise. Um, and all the stakes are on the line because if you can't drive, man, then you're not going to be able to take the girls out and all that stuff. Right. And uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I I love I love subverting very serious things. Mm-hmm. I think one of the hardest times that I ever laughed was during it was it was a nine eleven moment of silence, mm-hmm. and everyone was so quiet. Mm-hmm. It was the most quiet because like it was math class uh, with Mister Matafar, and no one cared about him, and he had no control, so it was always a very loud class. Okay, everyone's super quiet. And then, like, a pen fell on the ground or something, <laughs> and I just lose. <laughs> and I'm laughing and laughing, and everyone's staring at me, like, oh, angry. Because, like, I'm in New Jersey, uh-huh. and, like, you know, like, my dad was, like, on the, like, a block away from the World Trade Center when yeah. the first plane hit. Fuck. Like, yeah. you know, it's real. Yeah. That's real shit. Yeah. But the fact that we're all taking it so seriously, I couldn't handle. Yeah. And, um,. It's moments like that that are that are the funniest to me. Mm-hmm. My brother's my brother's eulogy of my grandma uh-huh. is s- s- one of the funniest, horrifyingly funniest, and I I, I, I held in so much <laughs> laughter. I feel so terrible about this, but I, I, I doubt he'll ever listen to it. Um, but he he gets up there and he starts banging on the podium he's so mm-hmm. worked up mm-hmm. you know he's, he's sad mm-hmm. our grandma de- is dead and um he starts banging on this podium Edie Lieberman was a pillar of light and I'm just like oh god here we go <laughs> and he's just telling this very beautiful very eloquent speech but he's banging on the podium like Mussolini uh-huh. and he can't stop yeah and then just when I'm like, he says something very beautiful. I'm like, oh, okay, uh-huh. great. Get you know, get come down now. And then he's like, and then I gave Grandma one more miracle. I'm like, oh god. And he's like, <laughs> I got a cat, and I was able to give her a grandchild before she died in this cat. Oh shit. And I'm just like in my head, I'm like, no one will speak at my funeral. <laughs> this cannot happen again. <laughs> it's. Because, I mean, you're being so beautiful. Of course. And nice. Of and, like, course. You're, you're doing this woman and her memory such incredible justice. Yes. And then you make it into this weird kind of humble brag <laughs> of, um, you know, my cat gave her her last bit of joy before she went. Yeah. What are you doing, <laughs> yep. man? <laughs> Who are you? Who's supposed to follow that? Right. How? Right. Um... And, uh, oh, that's the most beautiful thing. Oh, I gotta say, man, that's... And it's too bad you can't tell anybody else, because that's a great bit in and of itself. But, holy shit. I might, I might just do it. <laughs> I, I'd rather... If I do it as a bit, uh-huh. then he can get mad, but as long as it's for work, like, <laughs> what's the... I don't know. It could be somebody else. Does it yeah, have to be your be brother, so, necessarily? No, I can't... That's the one thing. Uh-huh. When I was doing it, I can't lie yeah? and be okay. funny. Okay. Um... Like That's respectable. The more I do a joke, after if it's like something about something that happened to me, mm-hmm. and the further removed from it I get, okay, yeah, 
I can't. You can't commit to that, right? I yeah. can't commit to I it. I get that because it's potentially no longer true. Sure. Um, like and I they'll developed... see it. They'll see it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I developed this whole my my California routine, the one that was working, was all this stuff about my relationship with this ex girlfriend, and then she and I broke up. And you know, you know how on Ron White's first Comedy Central presents, mm-hmm. he does all these jokes about his wife. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he's like, uh, "We actually divorced." I just wanted to tell all those jokes, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. And I figured I could do the same thing, and I just can't. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it's it just it's so weird, and there's just this hollowness to it. And on top of that, she's a fine Catholic woman. Can't do nothing about it because there's the Pope sitting right over there. And I say, hey, Pope, why is she doing, you know? Hey, no Catholic supposed to use those things. <laughs> so she's irped all the time. Matter of fact, this last baby was through the midnight trampoline. Yes, indeed. My wife, that was strange for her. Yeah, holding it up to the light, see if any holes in it or something like that. Yeah. Old powerful cars, boy. You can put any kind of protective shield up there. I'll get through there. Right through the midnight trampoline, Jack. Zonk. Oh, my goodness, you better believe it. You had penalty for not having it on anyway. Right through the old midnight trampoline. Powerful. Black Eyed Peas do that for you. Thank you and good night. It's different though. I mean, he's got a he's got a character that that border, border borders on on something beyond who he is, or at least feels that way. You know, it's a yeah. very tightly knit character to the point where, like, maybe that's why he can pull that off. Yeah. Also, well, there's something almost mythic to how he lays something out because <laughs> uh-huh. there's. Mumbly conversation, Cosby. Yep. Who's like, he he doesn't need your attention. Yep. You know, go ahead, finish your dinners. Finish your dinners as soon as you can. I'll be right with you. I'm gonna handle these people up front. Yeah. I'm gonna have a little fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's doing that until he gets into a bit, mm-hmm. and then he slows everything down so that you hear the message. Yeah. Yeah. Peas all over the floor, <laughs> so good. and uh, <laughs> he takes. He, I, I keep going referencing to Russell, my brother, but like the way that he plays the dad mm-hmm. in that whole <laughs> in that yes. whole sequence yeah. is, I feel like something that he may have taken from his father and applied to his stand-up mm-hmm. when he is making a point, and Chris Rock does it too, but he puts like way more like energy behind it mm-hmm. he's like rolling he's like uh, like he's like uh, he's like a big rolling wave mm-hmm. whereas Cosby it's a, it's kind of a slow wave instead of like a bunch of like furious lapping at the shore as the big one comes yeah, in yeah. it's just one big one that you see <laughs> you see coming from a mile away it is deliberately it's like the iceberg versus the tidal wave might uh-huh. be a better analogy where he's like you are going to crash into this and you will laugh and I'm going to make sure that you understand why before it crashes <laughs> right um, and I love that pattern because it's like once once he realizes once he knows that he has enough of the crowd's attention Mm -hmm. and he doesn't need to work anymore 
to get them on his side. Now he's owning the room. It's not, I don't need your attention. It's give me your attention. Yeah. I deserve your attention. Yeah. Um, because now that the majority of the room is already in the palm of his hand, there's no fight there. Yeah. No one's fighting back and saying, you don't deserve my attention. Right. You know, because right. he's earned it at this point. Um, <laughs> and you can always, there's a comfort in that. That's like another defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. There's pretending not to care, and then there is speaking with the voice of God. Mm-hmm. And his the character that he builds in his stand-up very much, he's passing down life lessons yes. and making you realize the things you should have realized before you left for school. Right, you know? right, right. Um, and if you didn't, then this is why that happened. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another thing. I'm going to name check Heather Campbell again because she's mm-hmm. brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talked about there's nine stock characters in improv. And this is something that she learned, I think, at the uh, the comedy dojo, which is uh, a school that's no longer around. Okay. Um, and uh, the first one... Is um is the boss or the father, mm-hmm. and it's someone who views all other people in a scene as in need of advice. Okay, sure. And I'm going to explain this to you no matter what, and that is the game that they play. And you can apply that to a, a, a infinity infinite scenarios. Mm-hmm. And he is very much he's playing that boss character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, once he is in that mode. You cannot stop him. Mm-hmm. You can either laugh <laughs> or you can be quiet <laughs> so that the other people can get the message. Right. Um, and there's like, I, I want to know when that happened because I haven't, I haven't listened to, I haven't listened to the first album. Mm-hmm. I have um, uh, the second one, uh, something when I was a child. Uh huh. Um, and I have revenge, and I have sports, and I have wonderfulness. Okay. And um, but I can't remember exactly, and I'll, I'll have to go through them all again. Sure. Now, when he zeroes in on this style of delivery, yeah, this very punchy, you know, boss-like, I know more than you, and I'm going to let you know. It's like it's funny, you know. Like Greg Proops kind of does his like smartest man in the world mm-hmm. thing, and it's a similar deal. Yeah, Cosby plays even when he's talking about something very, very simple, like why we are served peas. Uh huh. We he's playing at the top of his intelligence. Whatever he's saying, it's almost like a a big like intellectual firm, uh, like a, a lab, just did a huge study. On why we are served peas, <laughs> right. and I need to tell you the results of the study because they <laughs> will astound you. Right? You know. Yeah. Um, and you know, it just peas. He makes a lot of flat out, uh, not accusations, but like he says, he he comes out and says a lot of stuff that he can't really back up. Uh, I want to talk to you about his bit about atheism. Uh huh. Can yeah. we talk about yeah, it? Yeah, of course, of course. So, of course. in the first show, I don't know, I don't think he repeats it Mm-mm. for the second show. Cosby launches into this bit um, about how 
uh, he doesn't think that atheism is a real thing. Because no matter right. no matter how much you deny God's existence, mm-hmm. the ground starts shaking. You're gonna look up. <laughs> right. And I'm somebody who like I'm I'm relatively detached from religion mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. I won't say that there's no you know greater consciousness, but sure. a God in the way we traditionally define, maybe not. Mm-hmm. And um, that just made me roar with laughter yeah, yeah. because I'm exactly one of the the friggin' hypocrites that he's talking about <laughs> who like I still catch myself saying, God please uh-huh. I've never asked you for anything. Yeah. Uh can I have this thing? Yeah. Or like, please God no or God damn it. Or mm-hmm. like, you know. Um and that goes back in, into the fear thing. Yeah. Is a lot of atheists and maybe this is maybe I'm speaking out of school mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of atheists on some level if they were raised religious uh-huh. in the back of their head and tell me if this is the same with you you still on some level you just you pray you're not wrong right 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 or like you do little things that like in case you are wrong and mm-hmm. there is a god right, right, right. you'll be okay I you know and I definitely had a lot of that I was not raised religious yeah. but the idea of a god was definitely there okay. so for sure even as I question it I, I do I do recall growing up exactly what you're talking about I think I'm over it now for yeah. the most part although I will say I will say this for certain uh, when I've had to deal with one or two deaths or near deaths I've definitely prayed and I don't know how to pray but I did it my own way and it what and it wasn't what what happened? What was, was well? Well, my dad? my dad had a heart attack a few years ago, like several in a row, and uh, died Sorry. on the table twice. Oh my god! Came, but he's fine now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, and so I was definitely borderline praying, and I was like, I don't know what this means. I'm I still believe in a collective unconscious, whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm praying to. I don't give a shit. But you know, and but it does. You at the at the end of the day, you still like feel like fuck. What am I? Is this a crutch that I just fell back on that I didn't know I had? I know. Well, that's. I think, you know, people say you need your vices. I think you also need your crutches. Sure. Um, and uh, I, I totally. This, I love what you said. Uh, what did you call it? The collective unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I, I find it so much easier to believe in that yeah. than in a force that's sentient. Mm-hmm. In just like little things, like the other <clears> day, I'm sitting with a friend. We're writing and. Uh, she talks about we're thinking of directors for this this short we're trying to make, and she's like, "Oh, you know this guy. He he did this short film with uh, this guy and this girl from Mad Men, and I just throw out Abigail Spencer, who <laughs> play it plays like a, <laughs> is a recurring on the show, wasn't been on the show in a couple of years. Right. Yeah, not the first person you'd think of mm-hmm. on Mad Men. Yeah. It was totally Abigail Spencer, and I didn't know any of the other people in this equation. <laughs> I didn't know the film <laughs> festival that it was in, yeah. but I still you're still pulling something mm-hmm. from the universe mm-hmm. and you and using it. I love and it, and that has to mean something. Sure, sure, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, uh, what are the other bits that he does twice? That's hard for me. Um, ba, ba, ba. see, since I've only listened to the whole thing once now, I know it's so hard because sometimes I get a couple times to listen to it. I love the inside of this. The album. inside is so cool. That it's is just this fucking like, amazing. Him great, and a corncob pipe. Great Holy picture shit. of Cosby with like a fisherman's cap and a corncob pipe uh, with his glasses on. Um, <laughs> they do something very weird with this record, mm-hmm. which is 
sides one and four are mm-hmm. on the same LP, and sides two and three are on the other LP. Oh, yes, right, right, right. So yeah. they make you come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which, like, drives me crazy, because mm-hmm. I just want to listen to, like, one show. Right. Um, I'm just lazy. I'm a lazy Well, and I think... Oh, that's right. They did. So, you know what? I listened to them in the wrong order, then. That makes... Yeah. Oh! So, now that I think about it, I don't know where... When he said what, but... I, yeah. It, it explains why the energy was a little weird. Okay. Flux. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's one, four, two, three. All right. Um, and then, uh... One of the interesting things, I started doing some research on the mm-hmm. album before I came in here. There's a lo- a set of lines, and I want to know if you heard him. He does that bit about, he starts talking about birth control. Yes. Um, and <laughs> he talks about how his second daughter was born. Yeah. Did he mention the magic trampoline? Yeah, the midnight trampoline. The midnight trampoline. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently, so you weren't <laughs> listening to the same copy as me, that... Uh, after the first pressing, uh-huh. they took those lines out. What? They really? took those lines out really? of the recording. Oh, um, I did see that. Yeah, I was looking at. Um, I meant to see that on Wikipedia or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's so funny. Yeah, um, and it's like the edgiest thing uh-huh. that he says uh-huh. in the that he maybe has ever said because <laughs> he's talking about his wife's diaphragm yeah. and how Cosby sperm are so <laughs> strong. <laughs> That they can pierce a diaphragm, or at the very least, slip around right, it. Right. And I'm just like, are we really talking about this, Dr. Cosby? <laughs> Holy shit, man. So it's not on the pressing you have. It is or, on oh, the pressing. Oh, it is on this one. Oh, it okay. is. Oh, that's awesome. I got okay, lucky. Good. Uh, the one that I bought, um, I guess, is a first pressing. It's fucking great. Um, so I'm really stoked about that. Um <laughs> Oh man! And then in doing the research, like with this Cosby music album, mm-hmm. he's put out like ten music albums. Really? I've only yeah. seen two. That's amazing. He's put out like ten. This is the very first one. That's awesome. But he was doing music as a side thing, like well into the eighties. Wow. Yeah. Um, and like a few of them, like were it was like names of bands. Uh huh. Um, oh, can I pull this up? I'm so sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's that's fine. You should okay. find time. That's it's okay. okay. No, no, no. But we we should wrap it up if only oh, because I have. Uh, but I want you to please come back because now we have to talk about the Fat Albert album because I've never heard it. Oh my god! We gotta so, talk about it. Let's do it. I know some Fat Albert bits, but I don't know that album. So that that's amazing. It's the best one. That's good. It's the best one. I was um, gonna. I normally ask people to wrap it up by saying why you think this is. A, you've already done it. You've you've made the case for this album no doubt about it thank you however I do want to make sure and pull up the thing you're going to pull up yes but I want to make sure that people know where to find you I want to make sure you can okay. plug some stuff I will, I will, I will plug all the stuff mm-hmm. but um, yeah Is so he did uh, Silver Throat yep. Bill Cosby sings Hooray for the Salvation Band yes 68. okay yep. Badfoot Brown and the Bunions Bradford <laughs> Funeral and Marching Band <laughs> Char- he's the Master of Ceremonies and Charles Mingus and Friends in Concert okay um uh, he did another Badfoot Brown album. At last, Bill Cosby really sings. <laughs> Bill Cosby's not himself these days. Yeah. Disco Bill, 1977. What? That I've never seen. Where You Lay Your Head, 1990. My Appreciation, 1991. Oh, shit. Um, his last music album was mm-hmm. released in 2010. K 
keep standing. Holy shit! Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that the coolest thing? He's still doing that and still doing stand up. Yeah. I still haven't seen the 2013 special. I haven't seen it yet either. Okay. I I need to. I was kind of waiting for him to come on the show. Oh, man. That needs to happen. That needs to happen. Um, But yeah, if folks want to find me, thank you again, Jason, for having me. Uh Um, You can find me on Twitter at uh, Matt Lieberman, M A T T L I E B E R M A N. And you can also find me on AfterBuzz TV. Uh, it's a video and audio podcasting platform. We're on YouTube and iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, we recap and review pretty much every TV show on the air. That's awesome. Um, so right now, what am I doing? I'm doing uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, okay. uh, Resurrection on ABC. I'm doing Justified on FX, mm-hmm. Cougar Town on TBS, uh, Helix and Lost Girl on Sci-Fi, Banshee on Cinemax, which is wrapping up. On Monday, they just aired the finale last mm-hmm. night. It was awesome. Okay. Um, doing some a bunch of stuff in the spring. Got Mad Men coming back in April. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, yeah, so you, you throw a rock, you'll find a show with me on it there. Uh, highly recommend it. And then I'm also actually just starting out as a correspondent at SourceFed. Okay. It's a, uh, it's a YouTube network. They do... Uh, internet news and comedy, you know, rants in front of a white background. Okay. It's gonna be fun. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, you can find me at AfterBuzz TV and SourceFed, or if you live in LA and you want to see some live sketch, uh, you can see me as a member of DJ Fawcett uh-huh. at the IO West uh, Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Nice. Um, and we're also doing a showcase at the Comedy Central stage on April 30th. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. My apologies for being retarded. Oh. Uh, but this was so much fun. It's okay. You can, you can be challenged all you want, and I'll always come back. Well, for that's you. good. Okay. Well, that, that's good to hear. And I, I will also compliment you on uh, having been in two of the best shows that we've done of, of a drinking game. Oh, and I you. we really need to do Top Gun again. But uh, we, need, be, we need to do Top Gun. It was amazing. Well, it was, let's let's get it up to let's get it up to two a month, man. Seriously, you've man. been doing it for like four years. I know. It's two a month. <laughs> what's what's the harm? Uh, yeah, I know. Livers aren't important. I guess who that's needs true. a liver? Yeah. Well, that's why you cycle people in and out right well to save people see but my I, I would refuse i would right. refuse to cycle. cirrhosis not psoriasis it's okay close enough <laughs> affects your skin that's okay um thank you again this is awesome people please look him up online matt lieberman please do and uh as always have a good thing on vinyl is a production of stolen dress entertainment it is produced by mike warden and is hosted and edited by jason klom our theme song was composed and performed by richard levinson please visit stolendress.com to listen to our other podcasts read our blogs read our tweets watch our videos and read our books please subscribe on itunes and if you like us give us a five-star rating and a nice review you can find us on facebook.com slash comedy on vinyl twitter at comedy on vinyl and find everything else at comedy on vinyl.com.